Hey everybody, welcome back. You are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Steve Itch. And it is yet another episode today, May 16th, 2020. With that episode being, what, what episode do you think we are on, Steve? You know, I haven't been keeping track. This one's got to be like, what, 170? You're close. It's episode 173. anyway we are going to be having a little bit of the old uh bantering back and forth a bit catching up with each other before we go into our uh topic of the day which actually is a bit of a, a two for one this time uh we have had a couple of big announcements over the past week one of which is the unreal 5 tech demo running on a PS5, as well as a, I believe it was like an 18 minute long demo from Sucker Punch regarding ghosts of Shunima. Is that how you pronounce it, Steve? Tsushima. Tsushima. Thank you. So uh, the way I see it is I think we should start out after Howdy Doody time talking about ghosts of Tsushima. Is that how you say it? Tsushima. 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 Let's go with Tsushima. Okay. And then we'll uh, segue into uh, the Unreal Engine 5 on PS5 impressions. So, Steve. Steve, Steve. Steve, Steve, Steve. Steve, Steve, Steve. Yes, Russ. Hi. You know, I've been waiting to find out about how your day today specifically went. And if you are, in fact, the owner of a brand new used car. Not yet, but we think we found something. Uh, uh, um, We think we found something. Uh, It might be a little bit too good to be true. So we're going to get it checked out. uh, Get it checked. See what the old mechanics have to say about it. Um, what we found is a, um, it's kind of a blessing in disguise. Well, I, don't, I can't even say that yet. So the dealerships are, are starving to sell cars because um, everyone's been laid off of work and not buying anything with the whole COVID situation happening. Right. And so uh, they, they're sitting on like hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory that's just, that's just sitting there not doing a thing. Just sitting and there. And so- we um, we found a used uh, Lexus um, RX three hundred and fifty, old body style. Um, is that a SUV or a sedan or it, what is it, that? It is a SUV. It does not have a third row seat, but it's it's like the Highlander, but the the Lexus version of the the previous body style Highlander. Like, like does it, does that, it lop like, off? Like the, the chassis is the same. Does it lop off the heads of other cars and screaming, there can be only one. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. um, I thought I'd ask. Anyhow. So, um, no, we were, we were driving everything and we, we, it, I, I actually, I went to CarMax, not sponsored by CarMax, not sponsored by CarMax, but I went there and I actually found an, a, a 2012 Highlander that was in pristine condition. Like it, there was only 7,500 miles a year put on this thing and it was a limited edition and it had everything in there, but the tech 
was pretty old fashioned. Like the 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 uh, backup camera, for example, was a joke. The the Bluetooth was a joke, and um, and so and I thought, but but I thought I could look past it all if it was just comfortable to drive. And though it felt extremely solid on the road, I could not get comfortable in the seat. And I'm like nuts. So um, I had it shipped from Kansas City. It only cost me 100 bucks though. And uh, I finally arrived after like 10 days. And I went down to look at it. I mean, the thing is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. I, it is the, anyhow. Is we, it the cat's meow, really, Steve? It was the cat's meow, but it just was not comfortable. And um, the wife wanted some more like, you know, a high-end tech in it. So, I mean, like she wanted a full, like for example, the backup camera on this thing was like, the size of a silver dollar or something, you know, I mean, it was like the screen was really small. And so it was really an afterthought. And she really likes the backup camera and the Bluetooth was, uh, I don't know. Anyhow, I don't want to get up. I don't want to, I don't want to digress too much. Has she owned Anyhow, a but, backup camera before Steve? Yes. Yes, she has. She owned a uh-huh. uh, 2015 uh, Mazda CX-5 that had one and it was a pretty decent vehicle. And you know, what's uh, crazy so about that, Steve. I'll tell you what's crazy about that. I remember back in the year 2009 when the backup camera was considered quite the luxury. And I remember being, uh, I was actually on a on-site interview for another gaming studio and the COO took me out to lunch in his uh, Hummer. He had, uh, but it was, it wasn't one of the H1s. I think it was like, it was either the H2 or H3. I can't remember which one of those was. Well, the, if the it was big time. and macho looking, it was an H2. If it was kind of like, is that a Hummer or is that something else? It was an H3. I think it was an H2. I believe it was, in fact, an H2, Steve. And I remember he had the backup camera and I thought, well, that's pretty spiffy. And now look at you. It's not even 2020. She was driving something in a 2015 and had it in a Mazda of all cars, so. Well, I think in life keeps getting better, Steve. They made it mandatory for all vehicles to have a backup camera of some sort. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyhow, so she wants found, a backup uh, camera, eight K style, all the bells and whistles. Well, not by all the bells and whistles, but that, that's definitely something that's on the list. Perhaps but the bells, anyhow. but not the whistles. Oh, man. Or is it the whistles, so, but not the bells? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> You've had like five rock stars before this recording. Haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we found uh, this vehicle and um, we were both comfortable in it. And the dealers like create like, you know, they're just they're wanting to, to get rid of uh, some of this inventory that they've been sitting on for the last couple months. It hasn't moved. I'm trying to get some cash flow going. And so they are willing to wheel and a deal. And uh, they took about five grand off the off the top. And um, so we still we're, we're still paranoid. We still we, we want to get it checked out just to make sure it's good to go because it's, it's kind of past that timeline where they don't they're not going to certify like they certify it. You know, within under five years, they all certify and say hey, it's certified pre-owned vehicles is all you know good to go. After the five-year point, they they don't do that. So they it doesn't come with a factory warranty. It's not certified, and it's just like a regular car that the dealer says, "Hey, you know this is this is a good car, but we're not going to warranty it." So, um, and it, and it's in our budget. So 
We want to get it checked out just in case it drives smooth. It does everything we wanted to do. We, we like how it looks on the outside. We like how it looks on the inside. I, I mean, if I'm going to be picky, I would say, I mean, the wheels are chrome and um, it's not real chrome. It's fake chrome. It's like chrome plated where it's like plastic on the wheels. That's chrome or reflect. You know, it's uh, anyway, might have to uh, put different wheels on it, but uh, the good news is, is that uh, we're not we're, we're not on square one anymore. Uh, we might have it by this coming week. Well, good. I wish nothing but the best of luck for you on that, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, you're welcome. This is what's known as dead air. Are you going to say, uh, you know, what you've been playing, what you've been watching there, Steve? Oh, yeah, sure thing. You know, I um, I went back to God of War. Actually, I I'm thinking I want to. I'm I'm I might hold off finishing Ori until uh, until the, the the Series X comes out. And it might be a minute, but I think I might hold off and uh, and play God of War. And I still have to play Assassin's Body Mouth. Uh, and so there's, there's some, some games that I need to play. And then by probably by that time, I mean, July ghost of, uh, Tsushima are come is coming out. I think July, I don't know, July 7th. I don't know. I forgot. It's in that, uh, it's in the clip. It's in the clip, Russ. And, uh-huh. uh, so uh, by that time I'm going to be playing that game. And then probably I'm going to be playing after that, um, cyberpunk 2077. So, uh, at that point, Probably the the series X will be out, and we will go from there. Are you looking forward to uh, customizing your genitals in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, Steve? I am. You know, have you have you seen sometimes when if someone drives a uh, a Tahoe and they have it lifted with like some big burly tires on it, and then you see something hanging off the tow hitch, and you're like, "What's that? It looks like something. Maybe they ran over something, or maybe something fell and wrapped stuff around there." And then you I look know what you mean. Are at it, and then it looks like a pair of like big bull testicles. Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm probably going to give myself. I think I'm going to make mine intentionally lopsided. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, you would, Russ. I think you're going to have yours with some uh, some some swirly nipple tassels, just so you can say you did it. We're, 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 I'm curious to see how robust this genital system is, Steve. I, uh, I I'm also uh, pretty tickled about uh, how all of the various gaming news outlets have been focusing on this, as opposed to the actual gameplay mechanics. But uh, you know, to, to each their own, I suppose. So, so what else, Steve? You know, so we did. I tell you, I don't think I told you. We finished, we finally finished Jessica Jones. We, we watched. Is that the one that you keep, is that the one you keep complaining about? Yes, that was the one I was complaining about. We finally finished it. So We we were like, ah, so glad it's over, man. Uh, So then we, we began Luke Cage. And Luke Cage is definitely a lot better than Jessica Jones is. Uh, Luke Cage picks up where Jessica Jones kind of late up um, ended, but there's no real like hard mentions of Jessica Jones, and she's not even in it yet. Uh, we're, we're actually getting pretty close to the end of the season, but it's definitely way better written and way better acted, 
and the characters are better. The music is better. Pretty much everything is better with it. So it's not like great by a long shot, but in comparison, it definitely is. And we are enjoying it. And we rented, you know, I haven't watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in a long time. I only wa- I only saw it that one time with you in the theater, but I haven't seen it since. Um, and so I thought, you know what? It's on my Netflix list. I'm just going to get it uh, and watch it because it's been too long. It's been too long, bros. That's a good film. And, and so I, I, we have it, and uh, Wifey's not too big on it. She says, you know, I really like the first one better than the second one. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, but this one's still good. She goes, I know. Just doesn't do enough for me. I, you know, so actually I think she went to sleep out halfway through and I paused it because I ain't going to watch it really without her. And uh, I'm going to make her watch it with me. So that's what's mm-hmm. going on. That is what is going down. Oh, actually I did watch, I, I'm almost, I, I've started resuming. I'm resuming uh, Longmire and I'm on the last season and I'm almost, and I'm about halfway through. Longmire, still good, still awesome, still wishing they've, they, they're going to continue making it, but um, I'm almost done with that one. Well, that's good. It seems like you're getting a lot of uh, watch time in. Now, I know, Steve, that you have been playing a certain something. You care to comment on mm. that at all? Um, okay, well... You and I played Streets of Rage and we were supposed to beat it, but apparently we started where you left off instead of where we left off on my system. And so we didn't really get any further at all. Matter of fact, we didn't even get up to where we last saved. So I'm going to leave that one there. Um, And then we played a match of uh, Legends or Leagues or whatever it was, Runeteria. Legends and of Runeterra, Steve. Which um, I'm just using basic cards. I don't even know how to pick a deck. I don't know what's going on. I keep on opening chests and getting epic like looking things. And I'm like, yeah, that's not even in my deck. I don't know where this card goes after it says I have it. And so I'm just using the basic deck that they give you in the beginning of the game. So I'm actually surprised I lasted as long as I did after your like four ice tornadoes came throwing through my <laughs> my screen I'm like this is nice this is um yeah i know i knew this was gonna happen <laughs> you know you always sell yourself short i think that you did really well in that and there was a moment there where i wasn't sure if i was gonna um survive or not but then i started coming back and you know uh mop the floor with you as a uh firstborn brother should you know, it's, it's well, my duty to uh, wipe the floor with your booty. It, it got to a point where I'm, I'm going, you know, he's not, he's taking a very long time to select <laughs> a card. Like, what is going on? I wish there was like, and I even like, dude, I'm waiting. Like, it's been like a minute and a half. I'm looking at the screen. Like, what is going on on your end? Is there like a Wi-Fi issue? Like, what is going on? And I'm like. I know he's looking through his card and trying to figure out what he can possibly do, which probably means he's got a lot of high level cards <laughs> that cost a lot. And so he's waiting until the mana is at a level where he can throw in a bunch of high level cards. Meanwhile, little brother over here has low level cards. And so I'm slapping you with 
the little jabs here and there and, and, and getting your, whatever your, your, your health down on your little crystal, whatever it was. And I'm like, it's coming. It's going to, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm like, well, um, he's down to like less than 10. It's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. And of course the mana was up to like seven or eight or something. And of course all the big cards start coming out. I'm like, yep, this is when it goes down. (laughs) And anything, every, anything and everything in my deck was already used up. And so everything that it was giving me was like, Oh, Hey, you have 10 mana. Here's a level one card. Here, play this one. This should do you. I'm like, ah. And at some point, I I think I just tried to, like, in the midst of one, and I forgot which character you threw out there to increase the spell limit, like, by four. And (laughs) And I had a card, and it said, kill any unit. And I killed the wrong unit in your hand. And I'm wondering if I would have killed the, the it was like a, a, a coin toss. I'm like, it's going to be this one or this one. And I think I killed the wrong one. And had I killed the right one, I don't think you could have hit me with all those frigging tornadoes. And uh, I think <laughs> at the end of the game, I knew you were going to do it again. And you did. And I think I just surrendered. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to go eat something. Okay, bye. Like with the <laughs> second out of four tornadoes. oh man okay so i have to segue into to this because so first of all like i said i think that you did really well i think that um the as you continue to unlock more cards and you get used to the game itself um i think you're you're gonna be a natural at the game and to your point, yes, there was a moment where you had a card that you were playing. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but you you totally had this card that could have um, really poked a, a hole in my approach with those uh, those um, <laughs> icy whirlwinds. And uh, what was funny is is to back up a little bit with this. So Nick, you know, aka Big Baby Moose had actually contacted me and was wanting to play some Legends of Runeterra. And and this was like uh, around the time that I had um, asked if you wanted to play and that sort of thing. So like everybody was kind of like all of a sudden available to play the game. And so when I started playing you, I had Nick on video on Discord. And for like the first like five minutes of you and I playing, I thought I was playing him. And then it, uh, it like all of a sudden um, occurred to me that I wasn't and that I was playing you while I was talking to him through video. Because normally what we do is we uh, connect on Discord so we could see each other as we play and chat and laugh and all that kind of stuff while we play the game. So then he started to watch. He was watching um, our game while we were playing because I made it available to stream. And, uh, and he even saw when you had that card and we were both like, Oh man, what's he going to do? And then you chose the the other side. I was like, Oh, I have an entrance. So it was, it would actually was a, a really fun match. And, and, uh, you know, n- even Nick was, was commenting, commenting as well about how, um, you know, you, you were really competent at what you were doing. So I, I look forward to seeing how you do as you unlock more cards there, Steve, don't sell yourself short. 
Well, I don't know how I'm really gonna pick a deck. I mean, I went through, I'm like, okay, it's gotta be simpler than I think it is. Like, what is going on here? And so I went through, I'm like, okay, I see a bunch of cards. I think I own them. Uh, <laughs> let's see what happens. And that was basically my mindset. And so I started clicking on a bunch of stuff. I'm like, yeah, I want that one. I want that one. Oh, he looks tough. Okay. Oh, that's a nice picture. I'll take that one too. What does that spell do? Uh, it sounds like it could be useful. Okay, I'll take that one. And then I go save. And it says, oh, sorry. Can't save this deck. Too many cards. I'm like, I thought I was creating a deck of cards. I was like 50 and I chose like 17. Uh, so what's the problem? And so I had to like take away cards and then I thought I had a deck that was like pretty good. And then I tried to play that deck and it just seemed like it was, <laughs> it's the old deck. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Oh, Steve. Oh, Steve. Oh, Steve. So in the game itself, one of the, the biggest kind of comeback long-term features that, that, that this, this game offers is the ability to be able to mix and match your own custom decks. And that's what I love about the game is I have, since I've, I started playing the game, I think I have made somewhere in the vicinity of like 20 different custom decks. And it's the coolest thing because you can either stick with just one region or you can actually select two different types of regions and combine those cards together. And the game itself has so many different ways of combining different formulas and combos and gameplay, like just strategies, really. It, it, it is a deep game. And even with, uh, with Nick, he's also very much into creating his own decks and we've had a blast just talking about different types of approaches and tests. Like, you know, you create a deck and you can test it out and see if, if it works or not, or if it has potential and then continue to tweak it as you go along. I'm telling you, they have really outdone themselves in the game design department with this game because it, like, as soon as I think, oh, I think I've kind of explored all the options this game has to offer. Suddenly, whether by happenstance on my end or if I'm talking to a friend or whatever, then all of a sudden there's all these other types of strategies that can happen as well that, you know, that you have to build yourself. So it's, and it, I, I guess like a way to, to describe this is like, you know, if you have a car and you're wanting to tune your car and have a bunch of aftermarket parts that you have control over and, and you know, you want to really customize your vehicle, you can do so. It's the same kind of deal with this game. So I think that, that, you know, the longer you stick with it, I think you're going to, continue to really get a lot of enjoyment out of that game. So anyway, enough of that game entirely. I'm stuck in Final Fantasy VII, Steve. I'm stuck in Final Fantasy VII Remake. I don't know what to do. I wish you were What's here happening? on my couch. Well, so I am... It's difficult to describe. I'm in Chapter 8 of Final Fantasy VII Remake, and one of the side missions has me going after what I believe to be some sort of like malfunctioning robots or something. But like, it's these floating blue looking twirly robot things in a junkyard. And man, they just kill me every single time. I'm playing through. I, I have tried it, I think about 10 times now. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Finally, I end up uh, leaving it instead of trying to, to, to beat that side quest and go do something else entirely. And then I ended up running into... 
uh, one of the Turks. Do you remember who the, who they are? Yep. So I ran into one Turk. I believe his name was like, I want to say rude. I might, I might be wrong Probably. on that, but, but I think his, I think that's his actual name. R U D E. And so I have been trying to get past that. Uh, I didn't make it either, but I did have a more of a chance at getting past him than I did those other robots. And so, yeah, like I think I'm reaching um, kind of a get good point within Final Fantasy, but I think I don't have enough of the Final Fantasy chops to understand how to properly engage in battles simply because the traditional method of Final Fantasy is very turn-based, right? Like you kind of select what you want your characters to do and then you let loose and see what the enemy does and you rinse and repeat. But in this game, the whole way that you co- do combat is different. It's it's changed in, almost into like a real-time thing. So it would be nice to be able to have you here because I think you could coach me along on some of these things. I feel as though like, like you would be my my secret weapon. Does that make any sense to you at all? Yeah. I, I you know, I played the demo once, but I mean, I think it would all come back to me once 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 I see it. Okay. Yeah, because you can change between your characters and your party on the fly as you're, right. you're fighting someone, but it does get a little confusing at times. It, it's it's very interesting to me, but um right. The uh do you recall when you were playing the original Final Fantasy VII, if you were kind of like like you were probably enjoying yourself when you're in this first phase of being in the slums and that sort of thing, but you probably did like did you start really having a good time with the game once you left that place? I had a good time. Um, yeah, but I mean, I had a good time with it throughout because after. I mean, you, I mean it, you're still in Midgard, and there's tons of places to see in Midgard. But I mean, after a while, it kind of started all look started to look the same. Like it was always yeah dreary and dark, and you were in the slums, and and like uh, it was just kind of this this crappy place to live uh, and to be. And then once you got outside Midgard, then it was like then it it truly did feel like the game really started to 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 begin. So. And that's kind of, I mean, I think that's why I kind of delayed a little bit buying this one because if they go, oh yeah, we're going to stay in Midgard. I'm like, well, that was only like, that was, that the Midgard was cool, but that was only like barely even a quarter of the beauty and, and the mastery of the entire game. Like if, if I'm going to be stuck in Midgard, then I mean, I'm not going to be in a hurry to go back. There was so much more to the game. So, I mean, I was, I was, I mean, when that part of the game was over. I was thrilled. Like, okay, let's get out. Let's get some spells. Let's meet some new characters. Let's see some new areas. I need sunshine. I need grass. I need some other weather. I can't like, be looking at these power reactors all the time, you know? And, um, I mean, it, I, I enjoyed it for what it was and it was beautiful, but I was ready to get out once I was out. Yeah. That was kind of, kind of the, I don't know. Like, like it's, it's not a strong feeling I have, but like, as I'm playing the game, it's becoming more and more apparent. It's like, okay, like I'm ready to, to leave Midgard. Not that I don't enjoy what I'm doing here, but I, I really want to be able to see other parts of the game. And I think what's kind of weird is that I, I know that this particular part of the game, I think by the time I reached the end of, of it is 
probably when we leave Midgard, like I'm not going to see anything after that. And then I'm going to have to wait probably, uh, I don't even know how long before the, the second uh, part comes out. Do you know when that's supposed to be out? Not yet. No, I, I thought maybe they would talk about it during this next, uh, this upcoming PlayStation event, hopefully. But I mean, the game's still too new, but I mean, I would figure they would, I mean, people have most likely beat the Final Fantasy, uh, th- this Final Fantasy by now. So I would think an announcement to say, hey, by the way, we're coming out with the next uh, volume in this series. Um, so, you know, get, get your money books ready. I would I would figure it would, wouldn't be too soon to announce it. Yeah. Well, I'll have to get my eyes open on that. But I, I definitely think, and I think in this game, there are something like, what are there, 16 chapters? Is that right? I, I don't recall off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly myself. I want to say there are, are at least 16 chapters. There might be more or there might not. I'm not uh, certain on that. But anyway, having fun with it. Of course, the game is gorgeous. Um, it's, it is, as a newbie to the Final Fantasy VII, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm still kind of getting my, my bearings on the whole thing. But In addition to that, I watched Master and Commander. I was in a mood for a Master and Commander style flick. So that's exactly what I did. I was really happy about that. And my daughter actually wanted me to play more of the Forza Horizon 4, which I haven't played in quite some time. And she just really enjoys watching all the races. So we were uh, actually, to be specific, we were in the Lego portion of Forza Horizon 4. Having a good time. She was squealing with delight watching me run over all these uh, environmental Lego props and stuff like that. So it was a good time. I say let's segue right into our reactions to ghosts of Tsushima. And uh, yeah, I, I want to hear what, what you think of this, Steve. Go ahead. I think it is absolutely beautiful. I've been looking forward to this one for a while, but it wasn't until I saw the actual gameplay, like after the cinematic, all, all this other cinematic stuff has, has, uh, has happened and all in, and what we saw on E3 man and and can i just say can i can i can, 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 can i just say russ that as as more technologically uh powerful these systems get i don't necessarily want them to look more real i just want them to to make me more immersed into the game like there's certain elements that if i think of I mean, maybe it would be it'd be bad to say like stereotype, but if you watch like a like a, like a samurai movie, and I think they even touched on it a little bit here, that you have this certain elements in the cinema that you that you place together with the word samurai, and so when you play a game, you want there to be like dramatic environmental effects happening. You like 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 the like the environment is expressing itself to you in a sense. And I don't necessarily need it to look real, but I want to be immersed in that environment if I, you know, say am am a samurai or, you know, maybe a race car driver or a spaceship uh, pilot or, you know, whatever. I want to be immersed in that environment. So I don't necessarily need it to be the most realistic looking thing, but I for sure want 
like colors and effects and sounds and actually, you know what? Let me let me tell you this. Let me. Mm. Let me, let me, mm-hmm. let me just, oh, please tell me, this. Steve. So when you start, then I'm going to digress here for a second, but I'm going to I'm going to bring it all in. If you when you begin Legends of Runeterra and that title screen comes on, and your character is there, and you either see like you know he's going about to walk across a you know a very long you know wood bridge, or he's standing on a rock. Uh, near a cliff with with the ocean waves crashing against the rocks and it's beautiful like and and that doesn't need to look real but that's like uh, fantastical like it's if, if the whole game looked that way as if an artist was constantly painting and drawing a picture uh, of, of what exactly was it was in his mind kind of like if you open up like a um, uh, a concept art uh, book of what you know they they thought of like Castlevania for example and, and you have artists who are drawn pictures and and then a three D model is your creator has to go back and 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 recreate that to make it look like it was in the game but it never really looks as good as as what the artist drew with a pen and paper or a computer that was straight out of his his head you know it's that fantastical stuff and I want the game to look like that you know for whatever game that I play and and that's how I see how Sucker Punch has been making Ghosts of Tsushima because you have the grass that's blowing in the wind constantly and you have these bright colors of flowers and and cherry blossom trees with the petals falling down through the the sky and you have all these plush colors and you have his, his, you know, uh, it it could be a a cape or or some, uh, you know, piece of clothing he has and it's also kind of, uh, blowing in the wind and uh, you have you know, rustling of leaves and branches and it's like it, it brings you right into the game and and yes it probably is not realistic but I don't really necessarily want it to be realistic because I, I'm trying to get away from realism and into a fantasy that's why I'm playing the game and so the and so when I watch this gameplay trailer I'm like yes this is what is this is what games are all about this is absolutely beautiful and I want to take my time with it because you look around in the environments, you're like, dude, this I could I could make a desktop wallpaper almost in any direction. And then I think they're proud of it because you know later on in that uh, in that that the game demo, they're like, oh yeah, you can uh, you know take these freeze frames and take pictures, and you know and I'm like, yes, I'm like Russ is gonna have a field day with this. He's gonna put it up on Twitter like he did with Dead or Alive. And <laughs> and man, you know I it, it was great like that that. They gave you. They gave me just enough to like wet my appetite, and it, I was already looking forward to the title. But now I'm like totally stoked. I mean, this was already on my most anticipated games list for 2020. But I'm I'm really stoked, and I can't wait for this one to come out. Sorry, that was a bit long winded. No, not at all. It's cool to hear you get all excited and talk about it the way you did. I, I honestly wasn't sure what your well, like what your interest level is regarding this game. So. It's cool to hear that that you're really into it because typically you're not too into the more of the um, you know, ancient feudal Japan ninja samurai oriented games. So it's cool that that you're you're definitely chomping at the proverbial you know, bit. I might I might totally suck at the game. It might be a game that I, I I'm going to have to watch you play, but I'm but already watching someone else play the game on YouTube. Like I'm in love. Like it, it looks absolutely beautiful to watch. It's like I'm watching. It's like I'm watching. Well, I can't say I'm watching like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or House of Flying Daggers, but like with those kind of movies, they the like the the screen was 
you know, full with martial arts and color and, you know, all this other stuff. And it was, it was, yeah, it was kind of corny, but it was still like really fun to watch. So I can almost see the same thing uh, happening with this game. I mean, maybe I'm not going to be good at it, but that's okay. You know what I'm saying? I, I totally know what you're saying. No, I, I thought it was a really good demo. Um, it, I, I, I am a fan of when a studio decides to really push the presentation of their title where they don't hide behind pre-rendered cinematics. Not that I don't like pre-rendered cinematics. I do like them, but I think we're coming to an age where if you're going to do that, you have to have 50% of your presentation or less be the pre-rendered cinematics. And then at least 50% or more of your presentation be the actual gameplay itself. And, and by the way, there's a big difference between game engine um, or, or like, you know, ex- what, what is expected, like, like quote unquote expected final gameplay footage versus like, no, this is in game. This is live. We're recording this as we talk to you. So I, for one, was really happy to see that with this particular title and they really went in depth in terms of the different play styles of the character, how you could, <clears throat> you could be more of the, uh, respectable samurai, or you could be what's known as a ghost and um, have um, more of the elusive uh, naughty types of abilities to, to get the job done, no matter what it takes. And I liked how they, they talked about the armor in the game, how it's not just an aesthetic that you can change, but they actually have all kinds of different uh, switch ups and how that actually affects the gameplay as well. So I thought that was super cool. I really enjoyed um, the visuals. Like, like to your point, I think that they have, you can, you can tell that this studio has been working on this uh, with a lot of love. And I think that when it comes to a studio like sucker punch, I think sucker punch got their start as a, a mobile company, right? Like, weren't they doing a lot of mobile games? I know they did some, um, but I thought the, I thought they were there before mobile. I think they were doing stuff before then. I can't remember exactly, but anyway, it, I'm I'm very interested in checking it out. I did feel as though um, it wasn't going to be as action packed as Sekiro. You know, like when I, when I saw all the gameplay stuff with Sekiro, I knew that was going to be a really intense game. When it comes to this, though, there seems to be a deliberate approach to having more of a slower pace. And I can't really comment accurately on that until I've actually had hands-on experience with the game, but I'll definitely be trying it out and and I hope it's really, really great. I mean, it would be fantastic to be able to go from Sekiro last year into um, Ghosts of of Tsushima this year. So do you have any other comments about that, Steve? No, but I didn't, um, didn't Sucker Punch make, no, I didn't play this game, but I thought they made it, so I could be wrong. But didn't they make Infamous Second Son? I don't. I have no idea. Like, I have to look it up. That's something we we'll have to look up. But did you have any other uh, thoughts on on the demo itself of what you saw? No. Well, okay. So one thing that that um, they were talking about was, uh, and and I didn't really see this too much, but probably because the guy who was playing the game was a total pro, but. They were saying something about you have to be – it's not like a button masher, uh, you know, you hack and slash game. Like you have to be conscious of your energy expelled with how you are fighting. 
And I thought that that was definitely interesting because it brought more of a human element to the game. I, I don't know if it's going to make that to the final release. But then I thought, well, um, how much energy <laughs> am I going to be able to have? Like one slash, three slashes, and that's it? Like, and I have to, you know, catch my breath because that's going to be kind of lame too. Um, but I was I was looking for the, uh, a meter on the, the you know the, the the very limited HUD that they had, and it didn't seem like they they gave you like barely anything. It seemed like they did give you something to to use. But if you were if you were expecting it to be a button masher, you might be kind of sorely uh, disappointed. But you might have to wait to time your your counter attacks or your slashes. Like if 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 you can tell they're going to do an overhead slash, there might be like a way to uh, do a counter horizontal slash. Uh, kind of one shot, one kill sort of deal and um, do away with your enemies efficiently. Yes. The case. There is a bit of that Bushido quality in the fighting, it seems like. Like if you're able to strike at just the right moment, that sort of thing, that you could get like a one shot, one kill kind of a setup, which would be really satisfying. And that is another part of the game that I'm curious about too, is how, I don't know. Um, how accurate are the controls? How sharp are the controls? You know, one of the, the things about Sekiro that made it just amazing is that they could get away with those just ridiculous, insane battles because of how accurate and reflexive um, the controls are. I mean, really you, you like when you came to blocking, when it came to striking I mean, everything was so precise and I'm assuming that's the same for this title as well. So we'll just we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, I think, you know, if it is a runaway success, I do think that it is a nice note to kind of uh, place a bookend on the generation of the PS4. And I can't remember, like, is it a PS4 exclusive? I think it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think that it's going to be a, a nice way to be able to, to um, close that chapter on gaming in general as the next generation consoles debut and take over, that sort of thing. So it'd be very interesting to see. Well, going from that over to our topic of the day itself, um, it has been quite the week for Sony uh, with, with um, the Unreal Engine 5 running on a PS5. Um, I think that, that it's been um, a very, I don't know. It, I was talking to another friend about this. Last week, we had the inside Xbox um, presentation of third-party games that were coming out for the Xbox Series X. And I think it's pretty unanimous that people were underwhelmed by the presentation. They were pretty disappointed by it. And it really, it got me wondering, okay, how is so Sony going to respond to this? Because Sony is very much a, I almost think of them as like a shadow ninja where ever since they came out with their original PlayStation, one of their greatest strengths that they've always tapped into is their ability to um, pivot and be able to um, come out with like kind of a counter punch with any kind of competitor. And I think that, that, that this was an extremely shrewd move um, on their part because the Unreal Engine 5 demo was not a game at all. It, it is not a game that, that is coming out for the PS5 at all. It is literally just a tech demo to show off the latest engine of Unreal. But 
I'd be willing to bet you that there were some Sony execs who were chumming it up with the Epic Games crew and were asking to like do some sort of benchmark tech demo thing on their hardware. And they probably had their marketing team set up something where it says, okay, when you do, when you unveil the new Unreal Engine 5, can you just say it's like running on the PS5? Like just have it run on our hardware and announce it? Because that completely gave them street cred for their new system. It's insane at, at how... I mean, first of all, the Unreal Engine is one of the most respected game engines in the industry, period. Like... There are so many well-known AAA titles that have been utilizing it for years. And I think one of the biggest disappointments from Microsoft's presentation last week is the fact that um, they didn't have any kind of like graphical tour de force title that really showed a glimpse of what the next gen was capable of. And I think Sony capitalized on that. I really do. I think that... When this came out, first of all, it got everybody in the gaming industry's attention because everybody wants to see what's what's the latest from Epic Games. But also all of the non-developers, all the gamers out there were checking out this stuff and they were completely excited too. I mean, don't do you agree that that it was like definitely a proper kind of teaser as to like what the next gen graphics might be when pushed hard? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, maybe m- more so with the environment stuff than with like that character's face, because I thought the character model was kind of just so-so. But uh, they weren't really trying to showcase the character really so so much as the lighting and like the physics and, you know, this the causality, causality of like, okay, you know, birds flying by was going to cause an echo uh, of, uh, of sound because they're in a cave and, of course, sound bounces off uh, walls a little bit different than if their walls were a lot further apart. Um, and so it wasn't really about the character, but, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, well, and to go back to what you were saying before, I mean, you know, they, they chummed it up a little bit and said, Hey, by the way, uh, let me rub your elbow a little bit and, uh, squeeze your, your, uh, your earlobe and just mention PS5, <laughs> just, just mention PS5. And then here's a million bucks. And then they'll go, yeah, you know what, you know, cause they could have easily said, Hey, this is what's running on the next gen uh, hardware that's coming out this year. This is what our tech demo is. And just leave it at that. Didn't say Sony, didn't say Microsoft, didn't right. say PC, didn't say anybody. They could have said, this is this is what will be in your living room this year running with our new engine. And let's left it at that. And everybody would have gone, oh, wow. Like, you know, I can't wait to, you know, spend more money. And of course, everybody would have been excited. But because they said, okay, this is, yeah, and, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, this is this is definitely running on a, on a next-gen PS5, that, um, yeah, Unreal 5 engine PS5, uh, PS5, PS5, PS5. Anyway, on to the demo, you know. Did I mention PS5? <laughs> like, <nope>. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's, like, holding a controller in the back of the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just kidding. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, I think it was a completely brilliant move um, by the the Sony team and it's got everybody talking and it puts even more pressure on Microsoft to be able to deliver the goods regarding their first party presentation that's coming up. I, man, it's... Yeah, I, 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 I tip my hat to Sony on that because that was a huge salvo 
uh, toward Microsoft in terms of legitimizing their system as a true next-gen console. And, and it really is, I don't know, it's mind-boggling to me that Phil Spencer didn't think to do that. You know, especially given the fact that they've they've had a a really tight relationship with Epic Games. I mean, if you think of Gears of War, Gears of War is made by Epic Games. It's it's insane, and I don't know, like like to me, like that would be uh, a no brainer. But I don't know. I, I it's, it's it's I'd be I'd be curious to to like be a fly on the wall and and watch his response when he first found out the news on that. But anyway, I'd like to be able I, to. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just thinking like I'm I'm wondering if maybe you're giving him a little bit too much credit. That's all I got to say. That's well, all I'm gonna I say, Russ, I think maybe you're giving him a little bit too much credit. Okay, here's the thing. With my limited managerial experience, if something went wrong in the shop, yes, the person whose fault it was would come under fire. But ultimately, like the higher ups are going to look at me because it happened on my watch. And so, yeah, the guy might get a slap on the wrist, but it would come back to me saying, well, how can you let this happen? Aren't you paying attention? Aren't you looking over everything here? Aren't you locking the doors at night? Aren't you you know, taking care of merchandise? Aren't you this? Aren't you that? Aren't you keeping the place clean? You know, and and so I think on a low scale that happens on, on within regular business. And so on like the major corporate multi-million, billion, quazillion dollar scale, they go and they're having meetings after meetings and they're, they're, you know, tons of money's flying around. And then someone makes the decision and goes, yeah, this is how we're going to do it. We all on board. Like we, we talked about the other day on, on the other podcast. And then they all are in agreement. And then the day after they go, yeah, we messed up. Like, well, how can you be so separated from your community where the community has to call you out and you admit you messed up, but you had the meeting that were, that was all in an agreement that you guys decided that was the best case thing to do. I just, I just think maybe y'all are giving Bill Spencer a little bit, like, you know, put him up on too high of a pedestal because, I mean, Sony's hardly putting anything out there and they're still probably in the best light. Microsoft has everything at their whim to get everybody salivating and they keep, like, playing single base hits instead of slamming a home run. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know uh, what you mean with that, and it it reminds me of the uh, the guys who were on the third party presentation video itself, and I I don't know, it's weird. It's like okay, I understand that, like you know, I'm I'm now an older dude, you know, I'm I'm not in my twenties or anything like that, and I'm I'm in the gaming industry myself. But what's weird is when I was watching that. And I was seeing other guys who were actually, I mean, they, they looked older than me. I mean, I think that they're probably uh, about, you know, a decade older than I am. And there, there just seemed to be, it was hard to put my finger on it, but there seemed to be kind of a tone deafness that was going on as they were really um, promoting and peddling uh, the, the, the games that they were about to show. And you're right. I think that Sony has taken the opposite approach of, Microsoft in regards to the fact that they've, they've kept a lot of things close to the vest. 
and they've only shown their, what the controller looks like. And now that we've seen um, something that is not even a game, once again, it is not a game that's in development. It is a tech demo, but it is amazing to me how that has really um, intensified the hype machine for the PS five. So, um, but anyway, we we could talk about that for forever. I want to get into some of the nuts and bolts of what the tech demo was showcasing. This, and this is for me personally, um, a lot of this is really exciting stuff. I, I was very curious to see. I'm, I'm always a fan of what the latest Unreal Engine contains and what they support. I will have a disclaimer on this though and say that oftentimes in the past, there are features that Epic Games will promote and champion, but they don't actually make it into that particular version of Unreal. They do later on, you know, they'll, they'll make uh, their appearances and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, the list of what I'm about to share with you um, may not necessarily make it in at the, the first part of the, of the Unreal 5 launch. Having said that, though, the first thing I want to talk about is dynamic global illumination. Or, well, I mean, typically, you know, for short, you just call it GI. But this is a really big deal because I remember 10 years ago when I would do renders, like if I was in a 3D app like Maya or 3D Studio Max and I would do a render of something and I wanted it to have realistic lighting, I'd have to set those parameters in, in the application itself. There was no way a game back in the day could handle dynamic GI. And here it is in, in Unreal Engine 5, they were showcasing the lighting system and it was absolutely breathtaking. I could not believe I was watching real-time dynamic lighting as they just moved it around. And, and you know, for those of you who don't understand, global illumination is the idea where you're, you're trying to recreate bounced light. So like if you have a, some sort of light that gets shown into a space, it's not just the cone of light that you see, but it's, it's, you know, it's accurately bouncing off of the different surfaces and textures. And so you might see a little like hints and bits of other shapes and, and things that you otherwise wouldn't see. I mean, that's a really big deal. And another thing that they were talking about that also blew my mind is having true virtualized geometry. And what that means is, is that there are, are certain programs that a lot of artists have been using, one of which, of course, is called ZBrush. And there was this whole system of events, or, or maybe a better way of saying it is an order of operations that you would have to follow in order to get your game, or basically your ZBrush model, into a game-optimized version of that model and then bring it into the game engine. And they were talking in this tech demo about how you can now import directly um, a ZBrush model or a photogrammetry scan or cam data directly into their Unreal Engine itself, which is a huge time saver. Um, and it just, it made me super excited. And then on top of that, they were talking about how um, the, the actual poly count in um, the, their, their tech demo itself, it was amazing. They were pushing millions upon millions of triangles in there. And at one point they were actually, they actually had a space where they had all these statues. Um, and I think they, they were saying something about having literally billions with a capital B 
billions of triangles all being run in real time. And that's just, that's so unheard of when it comes to gaming itself. And it really does. I mean, if this is what the, the, the future of gaming is, the future is looking really bright indeed, because I, I have been wanting there to be this level of graphics fidelity. And I, and I, I just, I hope, you know, based on what they were saying about how this, that this was running on a, on PS five hardware, I'm hoping this is indeed the case that it's not smoke and mirrors and everything else, because th these are huge leaps in terms of how you make the gaming experience that much more realistic. And I want to also say, you know, just going briefly back to global illumination, you know, th there are two different phrases that are thrown around. One is called ray tracing and the other one's global illumination. Um, global illumination is, I guess you you could consider it, it's 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 a more advanced form of ray tracing. Um, it adds to the local uh, models, like what I was saying about like you know you have reflecting light from surrounding surfaces uh, to the object, and then a global illumination model is more comprehensive, more physically correct. Um, it produces more realistic imagery than just um, your standard ray tracing. But ray tracing is nothing to sneeze at either. Ray tracing tends to come into play, especially when you have um, more of like the glass surfaces or uh, reflective surfaces, things that require more accurate reflections. But that kind of ties into a bit of the global illumination as well. What did you think, Steve, of just when you when they were demonstrating like the global illumination of the rock formations and her going through the caves and stuff. I mean, I, I want you to describe to me your reaction. You know, I, you know, I will say, uh, to be honest, at first I, it did look next gen, but it didn't do really anything for me. Uh, even when it, she was walking kind of right near that, that really rocky wall looks like the stuff had was there and had crumbled and it was like one stone's throw away from a whole avalanche um, <laughs> um <clears throat> anyway um so even unstable that was, that was word. Oh, maybe yes so even then i was like yeah that looks good but mm, i'm still not feeling it yet and it wasn't really until uh I, like something happened overhead where um, like I think a bird flew by or something fell or I forgot what exactly what it was, but it caused the lighting to cast independent shadows of everything. Um, and, <laughs> and then it wasn't just like from light to dark, like certain, certain shapes and certain rocks had, uh, like a, like a filter almost put over them where, yeah, it, it, you, they still had light, but because the light was blocked and it was still casting through and bouncing off a different area of the wall or a different surface, then it casted, you know, a different light on there. It wasn't just one light source in a sense. Um, it was a, a few different light sources, but, uh, less intensity, than the main lights. I know I'm, I'm not a tech guy, Ross. I can't express this. I could see it again in my head. What do you know what I'm saying? I do. You know, I think that a part of that has to do with the the support for, for uh, photogrammetry. In fact, I remember one of the news articles that we talked about a while ago in a previous episode of Joygasm is that Epic Games had acquired a company called Quixel. And Quixel is the, the company that has made the, the program um, 
well, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's one of like the OGs of photogrammetry. And so, um, it makes a lot of sense now that we see Unreal 5 is how they have direct integration of Quixel into the Unreal Engine 5. And so to, to briefly recap on what that is, what you do, it's, a, it's an entirely new form of 3D modeling and sculpting. In that, you're not actually in the program making, like if you want to make a boulder, for instance, like what you saw in that tech demo, what you do is you actually go to a location and you take a bunch of uh, pictures. You take your camera and you take like a bunch of pictures and kind of in a, a 360 degree fashion. So you're getting every angle of that boulder or rock. And then what happens is you, you stitch it together into a, a 3D app and then it also maintains the texture data as well. So you can literally take real world assets and using photogrammetry, bring it into um, a game engine and have it look super realistic. And because everything um, is done just like Mother Nature intended, when you combine that with dynamic global illumination, suddenly you have just this, this insane realistic level of detail with everything. And that's what they were, they were mentioning too, is that those rock assets are film grade level detail. Like normally when you, when you watch a movie and you see like some CG visual effects, that's the level of uh, graphics fidelity that they use in Hollywood. And now we're seeing it more in a game engine form. So it, you know, to, to also kind of push this, this point home regarding the lighting itself, that means that there, that you don't have to, as a, as a game developer, you do not have to rely on light maps and you don't have to, um, be worried about baking the light in. And, um, I'm not sure if you've heard that term before, but essentially the way that, that our current games and previous games in, in the past had to kind of fake the lighting is they would literally have to take their, their environments and their props and all that sort of thing. And essentially like render out how they would look lit and you know, that they would have to plan out, okay, this is what our lighting setup is going to be like. And then essentially that would fake how the lighting would look. So as you move through it, everything would look, you know, visually correct in terms of where the light sources are. But if you recall your main character, like if you're playing like a first person game or a third person game, and you're seeing your character or you're seeing your weapon or whatever it is, your character always looked like better lit than everything else because it was the only thing that actually had some form of dynamic lighting on it. But the game engine itself was unable to be able to do that with the entire world. Does that make sense? It does. All right. So anyway, makes me very excited about that. Uh, moving over to audio upgrades, they were talking about how they have something called uh, convolution reverb. And it allows for the uh, measurement of reverberation characteristics of real spaces, such as sampled recordings of being in, in, in actual caves. So like, for instance, in the tech demo, as the character was running through this cave, we saw how there were some rumblings and some rocks that were falling down the chasms and that sort of thing. And the audio itself um, had a, a particularly impressive amount of detail and quality to it. Did you pick up on that, Steve? Oh, you know, I did, Russ. I was going to mention that if you didn't mention it. I'm thinking to myself when I was watching the demo, I'm like, it's really somebody, it's about time that somebody goes, you know what? This is how it actually should sound. How about we actually go into a cave and 
see how things look under different lighting, see how sounds react if you know if you throw a rock or you take a step or you 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 have a uh, you know whatever uh, you yell or what whatnot. And since we're making a tech demo of being in a cave, why don't we just go in a cave and do exactly what we're going to try to like showcase it to everybody? I mean, it's such a novel concept, but it seems like uh, so many studios maybe don't do that. I remember at one point, I think um, Ubisoft was trying to um, talk about their water effects in uh, in Assassin's Creed, or I, I think yeah, I think it was Assassin's Creed and Black Flag. And I was looking at the water. I'm like, have you guys ever been to the beach? <laughs> like, like yeah. I mean, I could just drive. 30 minutes and get to the beach and the, the way it sounds and the way it looks and you know, the, the way the waves roll in, like this is nothing to do with the beach and, and, and you're, you're going to Island, to Island, you know? And so I, anyway, I just kind of stuck that in the back of my head. I thought, well, they, I mean, I'm sure they got limitations and you know, whatnot, but it made me think about that again when I heard that, the the Unreal developers speak. He goes, yeah, we went into a cave and a cave and 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 we just started, you know, seeing how how everything reacted and and then when we had to, you know, this is what the expectation. I'm like, yes, thank you. I know common sense, but it's apparently out the window sometimes. Yeah, well, well, the the inclusion of spatialized audio is certainly going to help out, and it does make me think about how audio does make certain jumps when it comes to the history of gaming. I, I remember being really excited when all of a sudden 5.1 surround sound was supported because it, it completely changed the immersion factor of playing any given game. And then you had a bit of a, a slight upgrade to like the 7.1 surround sound as well. And now that they're able to actually calculate what the space looks like in terms of, of both the, the visual side of things, but also being able to, to correctly calculate, okay, this is the size of this cave, or this is the size of what this room actually is based on both the photogrammetry data, but also with us physically being there and recording, like setting up our, our audio um, equipment to be able to capture how sound effects really do sound like in um, you know this particular space. I, I think that we're going to be getting a whole lot more of that immersion um, upgrade as a result of that. It makes me really excited. They were also talking too about how they've upgraded their particle effects. They have what's called Niagara um, effect system. If you recall, they showcased that with the bats that were flying overhead. They were saying how their particle systems now can interact um, more realistically with the environment. I imagine in terms of like collision detection, that sort of thing. Um, another thing that they were, they were showing that made me happy was they upgraded the dynamic fluid simulations. Like, so when the female character was running through those little, uh, you know, parts of water and stuff, you notice how it actually moved correctly. I thought that was really cool. And the animation system upgrade was interesting to me because they were talking about how the engine now supports uh, what they call predictive foot placement, um, and motion warping, as well as dynamic positioning to make the inverse kinematics and body movement more natural. What I think uh, my mind kind of goes to when I was watching that part of the tech demo itself was um, the, uh, the Uncharted game. Uh, I think it was Uncharted 4, if I'm not mistaken. I was playing that. And I think they had, I don't know if that was proprietary software or if they were using a different game engine for it, but 
in terms of how you would traverse the cliffs and the rocks and that sort of thing, it kind of reminded me of that in, in the sense that it was very organic. You didn't have to like press a button to try and get somewhere. You could kind of just direct your character as to where you wanted them to go and they could either go there or they couldn't. And they'd have little kind of subtle, um, animations that suggested, Oh, you might be able to make it to that outcropping over there, you know, that sort of thing. So it's cool that, that they're able to, to push that in. But overall I was, I was really excited. I can say even at uh, 31st union, which is the gaming studio I work at, that was quite the, the talk of the day was um, all the different developers were commenting on it and talking about the possibilities of how you could utilize the engine to, to really churn out some, some amazing visuals and whatnot. So um, anyway, really, really cool. I would say um, in conclusion of this whole thing for me, it was a really exciting time to be able to see what Epic games has been up to. Um, I want to definitely congratulate their team on just a really impressive showing of what all they've been up to for the, the last few years. Um, and also too, going right back to the Sony thing, it is, man, every time there's a next gen console, um, war really that that's coming around the corner. It's always fascinating to me to see how each one of these companies does, because there are always going to be surprises. There will always be missteps and mishandlings. And yeah, I, it's it, for me personally, I got to say like right now, um, I, even though I keep telling myself that was a tech demo, that was not an actual game. I'm still, I would say more intrigued and excited about PS five than I am the Xbox series X. It's the craziest thing. And I think that my mind could be swayed back over to Microsoft if they have a strong presentation with their first party titles. But I got to say, I, I think that a lot of what Microsoft has done, it hasn't blown me out of my chair and I'm curious to see what other kind of tricks Sony has up their sleeve to counter the things that Microsoft is doing. What are your thoughts? No, I, I definitely get it. I, I definitely get it. Sony's saving a bunch of money with not doing uh, all these showcasings and, and advertising that, that Microsoft is doing. So they're saving all the money. And either they're just going to pocket it or they're going to come out with a huge boom. Um, I'm not sure, but I mean, it's almost, it's like Microsoft comes out with these big press things and the press is never really that good. And so because Sony doesn't have, everyone knows that Sony's working on, on something big and Sony's not going out of business, but because they don't have any bad press, that's good. And it's better than having a lot of press that's not good or actually not going in your favor. You know, like when you're when your community is coming back at you saying, you know, we don't have near the salary or the job title um, that you do. But even like the, the billions of us who could have made a better decision than big corporate Microsoft. I mean, that definitely says something and like it, de- it definitely makes you question like. It, it, Microsoft, do you guys actually know what you're what you're doing over there? I mean, Sony is making better decisions with you, and they're showing us less, but we're more excited than with Microsoft, and we want to really like you more. <laughs> you know? um, anyhow, 
there was there was one concluding thought I had though with uh, with the tech demo, which is um, the 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 first the gentleman on the left. If when you watched the video, um, he said something that 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 resonated with me, which is, uh, and this was back when he was talking about uh, the the polygon count, like the triangle count, and he says, and with this new engine. Um, developers are not going to have to uh, handicap. We, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him here, but developers are are, are not going to have to handicap themselves with like, oh, I have to adhere to you know 30 frames a second, or I have to adhere to to load times, or I have to have this many you know pixel count or poly count or whatnot. I can't just get my vision out into the game. And he said this engine is going to is going to revolutionize things because. They don't. They're not going to. They're not going to have to handicap themselves to actually put what they want to create on the screen, because the engine will will already know what what it, what's what they want to produce, and they don't have to handicap themselves. And I thought, yes, like this is going to be a new age with that one statement. I tell you, it is constantly more and more exciting to be a gamer. Um, you know, with each one of the, these jumps, I keep thinking, well, is it going to get better? Is it not going to get better? Like, are we going to really see what's going to happen or not? I, I don't know, but man, time and time again, the, the experience keeps improving. The immersion keeps improving. And I think that, that, you know, for, um, you know, a, another time we, we could certainly talk about how, um, the, the visuals and, and the audio and that sort of thing continue to improve, but the gameplay mechanics um, are kind of a different beast altogether. But yeah, I, I definitely absolutely love to be able to see where we are just about to go. And it's, it's just, it's going to continue to get better and better. I have a feeling by the time I'm like 80 years old, we're going to be having some pretty amazing experiences when it comes to gaming and I'll be able to die a pretty satisfied gamer. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M, and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least... Search Joygasm TV on Twitch because you might just see us stream our gaming adventures live, particularly on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you next week.